I watched the home run derby. I actually paid attention because Josh Bell was involved. And after watching it, boy, you realize how important the pitcher is. That he's got to get the ball in dude's wheelhouse. That Matt Chapman from Oakland, he never had a chance because his dad pitched. And dad choked. He could barely throw a strike, let alone put the ball where Chapman could really turn on it. Bell got off to a bad start, and he was done. Acuna went oppo a bunch of times. That was pretty impressive. But Bell seemed to really enjoy the experience, and that counts for a lot. The Home Run Derby is one tiring exercise. Swing after swing after swing after swing. I don't know if it messes up your swing, like some people say, but maybe it tires out the participants. Pete Alonzo won, that rookie from the New York Mets, but I gotta admit, I stopped watching after Bell got knocked out. The home run derby is boring, unless you have a rooting interest. It it really is, it's boring. It's just the same thing over and over and over. This is the Mark Madden Show. If I had a dime for every time I turned on the radio and heard somebody better than me, I would have zero dimes. We got Penguins coach Mike Sullivan on the show at 5 p.m. He just signed a new four-year extension. We got John Parada talking Bucks and All-Star Game in the first hour. That's at 3.30 specifically. And we got Stan Saverin, the Godfather, at 4.30 p.m. So, if you'd like to get involved, call 412-333-WXDX or follow the show's one-week-only Twitter account, at SuperGeniusX. It doesn't appear like at uh, MadnX will be paroled from Twitter jail any time before the prescribed seven-week, uh, seven-day time out. You know what shocked me was all those balls got hit last night at Home Run Derby with huge exit velocity. And there was no protection for the people in the stands or for the kids shagging flies in the outfield. They should have put protective netting in front of the stands and wrapped those kids shagging flies in protective netting. I think they need to put the batting practice screen in front of the pitcher during games and put screens in front of the base coaches, too. Uh, Justin Verlander is the starting pitcher for the American League in tonight's MLB All-Star Game. And he says the balls are juiced. Well, duh. Verlander's having a great year. But he leads the big leagues and home runs a lot with 26. So who would know better? I guess Verlander's balls are juiced. Then again, Verlander is married to Kate Upton, so how could they not be? MLB players are on pace to hit over 6,600 home runs on the year, which would break the all-time season high by over 500. That didn't happen organically, but no team has an edge because everybody hits the same ball. Hitters have an edge over the pitchers, but that's just tough luck for the pitchers. Verlander points out that MLB owns Rawlings, the company that makes the baseball, so the balls are going to be 
whatever MLB wants them to be. Now, part of it is that everybody is trying for home runs. Everybody is swinging with that pronounced uppercut. And that's even more so with all the defensive shifting because that's the surest way to beat the shift. Hit the ball over it. But I think baseball sucks because of too many home runs. It's all walks, strikeouts, and home runs. The three true outcomes. There's not enough action. Nobody runs the bases. Nobody chases the ball into the gaps. There's not enough bang-bang and way too much walking and jogging. Here's a crazy deal with Verlander. He attributes part of the success at age 36 to getting 10 hours of sleep per night. Tom Brady does the same thing, 10 hours of sleep every night. Those two guys are in bed with Kate Upton and Giselle, and all they want to do is sleep. That's a little weird. Uh, News from Wimbledon, the tennis tournament, Allison Risk lost in the women's quarterfinals today. That's the uh, young lady from Peters Township. Uh, Risk lost in three sets to the great Serena Williams and gave Serena all she could handle. I watched a lot of that match. It's like home run derby. I need a rooting interest to watch Wimbledon, too. Uh, Risk was great, and she does that orgasmic grunt whenever she hits the ball, which makes it even more fun. Ugh! But congrats to Allison Risk on a great Wimbledon. Uh, she's 29. If she builds on this in any dramatic fashion, that would make her kind of a late bloomer. But uh, the way she played today against Serena and the way she played in the round of 16, upsetting that Ash Barty, the tournament's number one seed, uh, she's got something special going on right now. Uh, Staying with the theme of women's sports, here's my final word on the U.S. women winning the World Cup. All they did was win a soccer tournament. That's the sum of their achievement. And it's a big achievement. But no matter what Nike and ESPN think, and all the social justice warriors that have blogs and podcasts think, that's all they did was win a soccer tournament. And you're going to realize that when women's soccer again goes on vacation for four years. And, you know, the U.S. women didn't play great. Not by their standard. No one player stood out. Not really. It was a very workmanlike tournament win. That's not an insult. The U.S. was never in danger of losing. But their scores in the knockout round were 2-1, 2-1, 2-1, and 2-0. I would not call that a transcendent performance. Sports events rarely change the world. Jackie Robinson did. The U.S. women winning the World Cup will not. And I just hate when politics and sports are tied together, especially the notion that the U.S. women beat Trump. That's just silly. Although I may have been wrong when I said that men won't wear women's jerseys. Nike started making the U.S. women's kit in men's sizes, and sales have doubled. This is how cross-dressing goes mainstream. I wonder if Nike sells matching panties. 412-333-9939. Every once in a while, the topic of retiring Roberto Clemente's number 21 throughout Major League Baseball comes up.
uh, Joe Madden, who's at odds with the Pirates, uh, spoke in favor of retiring Clemente's number 21 throughout MLB. Madden said, quote, I was and am a huge fan of Jackie Robinson. Obviously, that was an easy one to determine. Clemente was also one of my favorite players as a kid growing up. At that time, I really didn't understand what he meant to the people there. But as you get older, you learn you learn to see the significance. It's very interesting. From my thin slice, I would say, yes, let's do something like that. It would mean a lot to a lot of people who are really significant in our game, unquote. Well, Joe Mann's not real popular among Pittsburgh baseball fans, especially after pitching a fit when the Cubs were at PNC Park last week when the Pirates pitched up and in a few times. Uh, what I'm about to say in response to Joe Madden's statement about Roberto won't win me any popularity awards, but uh, I've said before and I say again now, I would not retire Clemente's number 21 throughout Major League Baseball simply because it draws a parallel between him and Jackie Robinson. And there just is no parallel between what Robinson did breaking the sports color barrier and what anybody else did in any avenue in the history of baseball. I just can't draw that parallel. It's not even close. Clemente, all-time great player, hero to Latinos. There's no parallel. It's not even close. I'm sorry. 412-333-9939. The Hockey News uh, with an article... Three playoff teams you could miss in 1920 and three non-playoff teams who could get in. Uh, it's by Matt Larkin. And he says the number one team that made the playoffs in 2018-19 and could miss in 1920 are the Penguins. And he projects them to finish sixth in the Metro Division and 11th in the East. He's basically predicting them to fall apart. And uh, his argument is not without merit. He says, quote, So the Penguins make the playoffs by four points, lose their third best forward, lose a top six defenseman, and look like a weaker team on paper. Even with Crosby, Malkin, and Latangaran, this team could finally slide out of the playoffs. It happened to Chicago with Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, and Duncan Keith, after all. Every empire crumbles eventually. Unquote. Okay, I get it. And there's a small sliver of me that would not be dumbfounded if the Penguins missed the postseason because, well, like Larkin said, Chicago, Los Angeles, even the best teams hit a wall after a while. But uh, when he talks about Kane, Taves, and Keith missing the playoffs in Chicago, I'm sorry, but... Crosby, Malkin, and Latang are preferable to Kane, Taves, and Keith. Every team thinks, okay, we got our Malkin and Crosby uh, if they have two good forwards. Kane and Taves, they, they won three cups. They're not Malkin and Crosby. Not even close. I remember the Flyers when they had Jeff Carter and Mike Richards. They were like, now we got our Malkin and Crosby. They weren't. Now they have Giroux and Voracek. Still no stale. Still not there, Malkin and Crosby. By the way, Matt Larkin, in this article, 
his number one team that missed the playoffs in 1819, that he picks to make it in 2019-20, is the Flyers. He picks them to finish second to Metro, fifth in the East. That's just absurd. He talks about the exciting forward group of Giroux, Voracek, Couturier, Kadetsky, and Van Riemsdyk. Yep, same exciting forward group as last year, and they came nowhere near the playoffs. And uh, uh, Larkin also badly est- overestimates the impact of Carter Hart and goal. Kids played part of one season, did pretty good, but it's a long way to Tipperary. Uh, I just don't see him carrying that team on his back, and especially carrying that defensive core on his back to jump into the playoffs. I mean, yeah, I know they added uh, Niskanen on D. Justin Braun got rid of Gudas, but uh, when you got Provorov and Gostas Bears, your top two, and they're basically A, one-dimensional, and B, the same player, and C, too small. Nah, Matt Niskanen ain't going to fix that. Some sad news to report. This just in. Former Penguin center Greg Johnson, who spent parts of two seasons with the team in 1997, uh, died yesterday in Detroit at age 48. He was the original captain of the Nashville Predators as well. The cause of death was not immediately known. 412-333-9939. In, in just a moment, I'm going to talk a bit more about the Chief Wahoo logo in Cleveland, how everyone still has their knickers and a twist over that, and the Stephen Foster statue, and the Betsy Ross flag. But did you know we got a statue on the north side of somebody who conspired against black men? I'll tell you who that is in just a minute. Here on 105.9 X. Get sports insight, opinions, commentary, and analysis from Mark Madden and Tim Benz online at triblive.com. On the radio. Ha, I think I'm the coolest guy, period, but what's up? The X at Verlander and Brady getting 10 hours of sleep made me ponder. But I try to get eight, but usually I only get six or seven. How many hours of sleep do you get, and what are the positive and negative effects? Part of it is I'm a light sleeper, and even more so with the CPAP for sleep apnea, at least in terms of falling asleep. Once I'm asleep with the CPAP, I do a better job staying asleep, but... uh, I only get six or seven hours a night. Do I need more? But what do I have to live for? Uh, I talked yesterday about the story in USA Today about the Chief Wahoo logo in Cleveland. You remember Chief Wahoo, that grinning, idiot, Native American logo that was on the Cleveland Indians uniforms for many years. They no longer use the logo. They dropped it in total this year on their uniforms, although I'm seeing conflicting reports as to whether they still merchandise it at all. If they do, it's minimally. 
But that story in USA Today still has a problem with people in Cleveland wearing old merch that sports the logo. Wow. What an insignificant thing to worry about. And I agree with dropping the logo. It is insensitive. But I also think that not one single Cleveland Indians fan who wears something with Chief Wahoo on it thinks about the subjugation of a race when they wear it. It's just their team's logo. Again, I agree with dropping the logo. The NFL team in Washington should change its name. But these subjects just aren't important enough to constantly wet your pants over. That article in USA Today says Atlanta Braves fans should stop doing the tomahawk chop. Yeah, okay, good luck with that. And maybe after they stop, you can get the Florida State fans to stop it too. Different people have different morality. Different things are important to different people. To those fans in Atlanta and at Florida State, that's part of being at the game. And maybe it sucks, but maybe they don't think so. And maybe not everything you think is correct. Maybe there's two sides to the story, but that notion's been totally lost in America. Hey, we're never going to be one big happy family. To even imagine that is foolish. Perhaps moving in, in that direction, trying to do that, disrupts the family more than everyone just minding their own friggin' business. Seriously, what is the right thing? What, it's right just because you say so? Ha! The histrionics of each side just pulls the other side closer together. The result is we're even more divided. Yesterday I said, hey, if we're so worried about Chief Wahoo and about the Stephen Foster statue in Oakland that got taken down and about the Red Sea Ross flag, we should demolish the Jefferson Memorial. Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner who had sex with his slaves as a condition of his ownership. He raped them. But there's this giant monument to him in D.C. that's a tourist attraction. It is a tribute to a man who owned and raped slaves. Now, you can put whatever disclaimer you want on what I just said. He's a man who owned and raped slaves. Okay? I think that's more harmful than the Chief Wahoo logo or the Stephen Foster statue or the Betsy Ross flag on shoes. Now, let me now localize this outrage. Did you know we got a statue on the north side of a man who conspired to keep African Americans from playing professional football? We do. Art Rooney Sr., the chief, the founder of the Steelers. That's true. He did. The NFL had no black players from 1934 till 1946. Art Rooney was a part of that. So, tear down that statue. Don't just go after easy targets. Or here's an idea. Let's not worry about crap like that. And just don't try and revise history. What happened, happened. Art Rooney did a lot more good than bad. A lot more good for African Americans than bad for African Americans. Thomas Jefferson, by all accounts, was a great president. I wasn't alive then and haven't bothered to do that much research. I do know for sure he owned and raped slaves. I don't understand why we have to try and rewrite what happened. The winners 
write the history anyway. If the South had won the Civil War, I don't know if we'd still have slavery, but it wouldn't be looked at nearly the same light. Obviously, I'm against it. Any right-thinking person would be. But I don't think we have to look for all these things to attach to it by way of manufacturing outrage today. Like the freaking Stephen Foster statue. Taking that down? A great Pittsburgh songwriter? Have we lost our freaking minds? And again, if you're going to take that statue down, take the Art Rooney statue down, because he was far more harmful to black men than Stephen Foster by way of conspiring to keep African Americans out of the NFL for 12 seasons. Your thoughts, 412-333-9939. I've come to realize I like the NBA offseason a lot more than I like, well, basketball itself. Now Oklahoma City is talking about trading Westbrook after they just traded Paul George. It's hilarious that there now seem to be certain superstar players in the NBA that nobody wants to play with, namely Russell Westbrook and James Harden. But if you're an Oak City fan, why would you ever again buy a ticket after Oak City lost Durant, George, and now maybe Westbrook uh, in a couple years' time? And especially when you never got over the top, although they did get to that one final when LeBron beat him with Miami. Oak City's all like the Pirates. They never get there and they dump assets, but they still want your money. Hey, don't forget, I got a uh, a guy running a Twitter account for me while I'm suspended from Twitter. Uh, he's tweeting out stuff about the show and about me all the time, so follow him at SuperGeniusX. My other account, Mark MadnX, is suspended till I think next Sunday, so right now we're going to do business, if you will, and I'm talking risky business, daddy at Super Genius X. And up next, we're going to talk baseball with John Parada. Who is he at the All-Star game? He is. Wow. Where's DK get that money to send people to places like that? I have to fire somebody. 10590X. The most music in the morning. Very classy. Abby on the X. Uh, yeah. 1059. They're saying yes, yes, oh yes. The X at 105.9. Joining me now live from Cleveland, site of tonight's uh, MLB All-Star Game from DKPittsburghSports.com, it's John Parada. Uh, John, Josh Bell didn't make it very far at home run derby, uh, went out in the first round. It's no big deal, but what happened? He picked his old minor league teammate to pitch, and he got some bad pitches early on, it looked like. He did. They just didn't get in a very good rhythm off the bat, and that's something, especially when you have uh, – Four minutes, uh, you can't wait around to too late to make your move. And yeah, when he didn't, uh, when he didn't hit a bunch of home runs early, it didn't look good for him. When Acuna had had twenty five of them, and Josh ended up with seventeen or eighteen, whatever it was. But yeah, it's a whole different dynamic than, than anything else uh, in baseball. You know, you have the pitcher trying to give up home runs, and that, that might not be as easy as it sounds. Uh- that said, Bell seemed very excited by the experience and even more so for tonight's game. I was glad to see him sneak into the starting lineup as the DH. Uh, very well deserved, and I think he's given himself and the Pirates some credibility at this event. Yeah, he really has. And, you know, usually a lot of years, except for, you know, for the couple of years where they were going to the playoffs in the middle of the, you know, the middle of this decade, they, they got some juice. But for the most part, 
the guy usually have one or two guys and they go pretty much unnoticed, but Bell really getting noticed. I mean, he's had a tremendous season, obviously, and, you know, to be in the home run derby uh, and, you know, to be in the starting lineup, that's good. And it's good for the Pirates and it's certainly good for him and shows how far he's come uh, here in a few years. Why don't we like the All-Star game anymore, John? Last year's game did an all-time low TV rating. I don't think expectations for tonight are any better than that. It went from big event to non-event. It's just for the host city and the participants, it seems. Yeah, it really is. and you know That's a problem baseball has in general. It's became such a regional sport. People follow teams in their own city, in their own region, but they don't follow the game nationally like they do in the NFL or NHL or the NBA. And uh, that, that's, that's a hurt. All their national TV ratings are bad for the Saturday night games on Fox. Uh, ESPN the Sunday night games don't draw what they used to. It's, it's, it's hard to put your finger on it, but for me, the All-Star game lost some of its luster when interleague play started because that was always one of the fun things. You get the matchups that you hardly ever see except maybe in spring training, and, and I always thought that was a fun part of the game, and when they went to interleague play in 97, I think that took a little of that mystique away. I totally agree, John. In fact, I said so today on my blog at the X website. And in terms of the game in general, I think there's just too many home runs. Uh, MLB's on pace to hit 6,600 home runs this year. I'd like to see the ball in play a bit more often. Well, uh, so would a lot of people uh, that are of a certain age that remember when the game was played that way instead of home runs, strikeouts, or walks. Uh, I think it's become a, a tedious game myself, not just the all-star game, but, but any game. Uh, you know, it's just work the count, work the count, uh, try to hit the ball out of the park, and if you miss it, so what, and take pitches. And, you know, the other day, a week ago Sunday, the Pirates and Brewers played a two-to-one game in Milwaukee. Now, not extra innings, Mark. It was just a regular nine-inning game. It took three hours and 40 minutes, and the ball's never put in play. Nothing ever happened. You know, and I understand why people get don't go to the ballpark anymore. It just was a tedious three-and-a-half-plus hours. Let's talk about the Pirates. They're one game under five hundred, but only two-and-a-half games out of a playoff spot. Are the Pirates legit contenders, John, or is it being done with mirrors? Well, I think part of it's done with mirrors. I will give them credit. Every time it looks like they're going to fade, you know, they had an eight-game losing streak, a seven-game losing streak. They've had a whole bunch of guys hurt. They seem to bounce back and get back into it. I think if, if if one team starts to pull away, the Pirates are in trouble. And if you know anybody breaks away from the pack, I don't think it's going to be the Pirates. I think their best chance is for everyone to kind of stick close the rest of the way. Nobody break out with that 90, 92, 95 win season. And if that's the case, then they have a chance to steal it. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not keeping uh, October. You know, baseball thinking for sure it's going to be in Pittsburgh, but it might. I mean, there's at least a chance they could win the division. Uh, does the organization see the team as legit contenders? Because the trade deadline's sneaking up, John. It's only three weeks away. Yeah, I know, you know, I asked Neil Huntington that the other day. Uh, you know, a bunch of us did in our uh, in our weekly meeting with them. Where I should say, at least when they're home, we meet with them on Sunday. And he wouldn't come right out and say if they're contenders or not, but he did say if they are at the end of the month, 
he will try to bolster the team. Now, how, what that means, I don't know how much money he'll be given by management. I have no idea. I would think not a whole lot where he can go out and get a big superstar. So we'll see, but I think they're, they're still on the fence whether they think this team is good or not, and I think the next couple of weeks are going to tell uh, what you know how management goes about it. What makes Brian Reynolds such a special rookie? Because nobody saw this coming, John. He's just so calm and relaxed, and he, he's, he's just a, he has a great understanding of the game for a young player. He's very fundamentally sound. He, he doesn't make silly base running mistakes like a lot of guys do now. You know, he, he, in the field, he's very smooth. He, he knows how to go about his business. He, he makes the routine plays, and then, you know, which is always problematic in baseball these days, too. And not only that, but he makes the above average play. And he just doesn't rattle very much in the batter's box. You rarely see him chase a bad pitch. You hardly ever see a pitcher get him out on the same pitch twice. And he's just one of these guys who uh, knows how to maximize his ability. He understands the game. And, you know, I, I always hate this expression, but it is true. He plays the game the right way, the way it's supposed to be played. Can Adam Frazier continue to hit 625 like he is so far in July? And, John, I know the answer is no. But this might be the best week for any hitter in Pirate history. I, I, you know, I was thinking about that on Sunday covering the game, and I was trying to research in my mind because it's kind of hard to do, uh, you know, when you're covering the game. But I was just trying to think back over all the 30-some years I've been covering and even following the Pirates before that. And I can't remember anybody having that hot of a week. I mean, 18 for 30, six, seven doubles, a home run. Just a remarkable week. And, uh, you know, if you talk about the All-Star break coming at a bad time for someone, it definitely was Frazier. But, so we'll see where he picks up Friday when the, they open the second half in Chicago. We're talking to John Parada of DKPittsburghSports.com. He is live at the MLB All-Star game, which takes place tonight in Cleveland. Uh, Francisco Cervelli wants to switch to another position because he can't catch anymore after having suffered too many concussions. But how can the Pirates possibly indulge that? Where can they put him, and when can they play him? I don't think they can. I think what they're going to have to do is just release him and and move on. I mean, I don't know. He's not going to beat out Josh Bell at first. He's not going to beat out Colin Moran with the way Moran has shown improvement this year. And they also have Jung Ho Gung at third. I mean, they already have more outfielders than positions. I just don't know where he fits, and I think uh, – I think we may have seen him play his last game in the big leagues. I really think there's a chance he'll get released. Yeah, I, I, it's a shame there's no DH because maybe you could use him there. But uh, it really seems, and I'm reading between the lines here, haven't heard Francisco talk, but it really seems like he expects things to be switched around to give him a chance, like he's anticipating playing again. Yeah, I think he does, too. And, I mean, you know, he's had a good run here in Pittsburgh for a guy that was pigeonholed in New York as nothing more than a number two catcher. He's done well. But this year, you, you got to, you know, people forget he's sitting 175 because he hasn't played in about six weeks. Uh, I don't know how you justify releasing somebody or sending someone back to the minors to open a spot for a position change for a 175 hitter. And that's just reality. And I think Francisco is kind of – thinking uh, you know, maybe a little too highly of himself, thinking they're going to rearrange the roster just to fit him in uh, in a different position. It doesn't make sense. 
Now, uh, let's look at the pitching. This Dario uh, Agrizal has made three starts and looked pretty good. Why has he pitched well, John? What's he have going for him? And how much do the Pirates trust him to keep pitching well and stay in the rotation? Well, they, they, enough that he's going to stay in the rotation and pitch next week in St. Louis in the fifth game coming out of the break. Uh, you know, his stuff's decent. He's got a really good sinker. He does have a good sinker. His other pitches are, yeah, okay. They're not great, but they're, they're okay for to get big league hitters out. What I really like about him is he isn't scared. And there's very few pitchers that the Pirates have brought up this year that, from the minors, including Mitch Keller, who got 50 times more publicity than Agrizal, who didn't look scared when they came up. And I've been really impressed by that. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't respect big league hitters and understand the magnitude of where he is, but he's also not intimidated by the situation. And that hasn't been the case with a lot of their young guys. What kind of shape is the rotation currently in? Because to be honest, John, nobody's pitching great. Musgrove's ERA is at 4.15. That's average at best, and he's arguably their number one starter right now. He really, yeah, I think he certainly can make that case. Uh, I would agree with you. I think if they're serious about winning, if they're still in the race in a couple weeks, if they really want to win, they need to go get a starting pitcher and not like a number five starter. I mean, somebody who can really come in and make a difference. I know they tried that with Chris Archer last year, and it didn't work. But they need to, if they really want to win, and they should have some money in the budget because they've cut the payroll almost by $15 million from last year to this year, go out and get a Madison Bumgarner. Go out and get a Marcus Stroman. Go out and get somebody on the market that's a rental for a year and just go for it. And whether they do that or not, I, I don't have a lot of confidence that they will again. I think they felt they got burned on Archer, which they did. That's looking like a terrible trade so uh, it's going to be interesting but i just think the way the pitching stats constituted right now i don't see how they can win the division even if teams stay punched up they're going to need they're going to need somebody to really make it to the playoffs. well let's talk about musgrove archer and trevor williams uh do you agree that none are pitching up to expectations and and if not why not where have they gone wrong you know, that, with Archer, when I talk to scouts about him, they all say the same thing. His stuff's just not as good anymore. He doesn't have the great arm that he had when he was younger in Tampa Bay. Whether he's injured and hiding something, I think that this might be all the wear and tear of the years he's been in the big leagues now. But the one thing that kills him is he can't spot his fastball. I mean, he throws his fastball, he doesn't know where it's going, and that's why he gives up home runs and he walks guys constantly. You know, as far as Trevor Williams, uh, you know, he had the great second half last year. And nobody's going to pitch up to that again. And I think people that thought that he could have a 1-3 URA all year uh, were mistaken. And I, I mean, I think he's a good uh, he's a good pitcher. I don't think he's a great pitcher. I think he's a number three or a number four. And with Musgrove, it's just inconsistency. It's the same thing with Archer, except he does command his fastball at times. Archer never does anymore. When Joe can throw his fastball for strikes, he's pretty good. But when he when he's missing the strike zone with his fastball, he's very hittable. So that, in a nutshell, is uh, the three uh, pitchers and what their problem is. The bullpen besides Vasquez is typical of the team. Vasquez has been pretty good, but look at Rich Rodriguez. One week he stinks, the next week he's great. Yeah, he's really turned it on here in the last month. Uh, but I still... When I look at a guy like Richard Rodriguez, and, you know, maybe this isn't a fair assessment, but the guy was in the minor leagues for 10 years. 
And usually when a guy's in the minor leagues for 10 years, there's a reason he's in the minor leagues for 10 years, because he's not good enough to pitch in the big leagues. Now, I know he had a fantastic year last year, and I know he's pitched well here for the last month or so, but I just don't see how you can count on somebody who's in the minor leagues for that long. To me, what he did last year was a bonus, and I never could have expected him to repeat it this year, and he hasn't. Uh, I mentioned the trade deadline earlier. Who's the most likely to be traded? Who will the Pirates shop around, and who's in demand by other teams? Well, I think Corey Dickerson will go either way, whether they're in contention or not. You know, with Brian Reynolds, the emergence of him, they, there's really no need, there's no room. That, or I, should, I shouldn't say there's not room, but they can trade Dickerson and really not miss him. And maybe they get the starting pitcher back, maybe they get a reliever back in, in that deal. The guy everyone wants is Felipe Vasquez, and the Pirates will certainly listen on him, but I think they'd have to be overwhelmed. I mean, you know, you're talking a couple of, you know, like a, guy, a young major leaguer with a, a lot of contractual control left that can make an impact and, and you know, and a very top prospect. So I don't think they're going to trade Vasquez unless, unless they really get a bidding war going and get somebody to overpay for. What are your expectations for Chicago and Milwaukee moving forward? Because those teams haven't come close to meeting expectations, but but they got to play up to their talent level sooner or later, don't they? You would think, but the Cubs have some issues. And talking to people around the Cubs and with the Cubs when they were in town last week. They're going to make us play a wild card game. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. The X at 105.9. John Daly pulled out of the British Open because they won't let him use a cart, which he needs because he's got an arthritic knee. He was allowed to use one at the PGA because of the Americans with Disabilities Act, but I guess the Brits don't give a damn about the disabled. And hey, that's okay. It's their tournament, and Daly ain't going to win it. It's been a long time since 1995. But I just get chapped about the golf purists who wet their pants in outrage when any facet of golf is sullied or compromised in their eyes. Uh, it's barely a sport. If golfers rant, it'd be different, but they walk. By the way, Daly almost died. He put on uh, social media earlier today. He was in England last week and incurred a spider bite. What turned out to be quite infectious. And a couple days later, guess where he was? Nemecolon. Right down the street. That great resort. Uh, Mr. Hardy that owns Nemecolon and John Daly are great friends. So Daly was there and he took very ill while at Nemecolon. With the staff at Nemecolon and... Uh, and... Uh, Uniontown Hospital saved John's life. He could have died. I like John Daly. I've met John Daly at Nemecolon. I like Nemecolon. I like Mr. Hardy. So I'm glad that even though John can't play in the British Open, I'm glad he's okay. Uh, some terrible news on the Liverpool FC front today. Daniel Sturridge wrapped up his tenure with the team after this past season. He had been with the team since 2013. Now, he's got a house in L.A., and somebody broke in and stole his dog. 
a little Pomeranian, and uh, Studge is upset, as you would expect. European Cups come and go, but pets are forever. Actually, I may have that backwards, but would somebody please get Studge's damn dog back? Coast to Coast brought to you by CW Electrical Services and by the Ford King, Richard Bassey Schultz Ford in Wexford and in Harmerville. Got a bunch of calls lined up. We're going to talk more about why nobody likes the All-Star Game anymore in just 30 seconds on 105.90X. Alexa, I'm bored. Find me a station. Here's something fun. Ooh, I like fun. Alexa, play 